Will you pray with me? For you, O Lord, our souls wait. We wait for you. Would you speak to us this morning, shaping us into your likeness? In Christ's name, amen. What are you waiting for? My grandchildren are waiting for presents. My five-year-old granddaughter, Marie, wants LOLs. And maybe you don't know, there were only a few people at nine who knew. No one at 745. They are the ugliest things you can imagine. They're these little dolls with big eyes. They, I don't know, they look like monsters to me, but she loves them. That's all she wants. I want more LOLs. And I told her, Mimi is not getting you any, any LOLs, no matter how long you wait. My son is waiting for a week in Vermont because he's had an excruciatingly difficult season of work. And it's made more challenging by living in a small home with his three kids and working virtually. So he is waiting for that trip to Vermont. How about you? What are you waiting for? For Christians, you know, Advent is a season of taking our waiting seriously. You probably know, any of you take Latin? Even if you, yeah, a bunch, way more than at nine. My mother made me. Anyway, I'm glad, because I know words like this. Ad, as you know, is the preposition that means to or toward. And vent comes from venire, which means to come. So Advent is the season in which we turn toward what is to come, turning toward that that is to come. So waiting. We're not good at waiting, are we? I think about my husband and I when we're at a traffic light and somebody obviously is looking at their phone even though they're not supposed to and they don't drive forward when the light turns green and he gets so, sorry honey, he gets, he, get, he gets so irritated. He doesn't like to wait at a traffic light. Uh, and, and that's a trivial example. But, you know, most things we look forward to, we, we don't want to wait. We want to get through it. We don't think of waiting as a period of preparation. We think of it as something to get through as fast as possible. But, you know, that's not the Bible's perspective on waiting. I counted it up and 58 times where it talks about waiting for God or God's ways. And I'm sure I got it wrong. You know, I'm sure there are more. Um, and uh, different words are translated waiting, so I'm sure. But anyway, 58 is not, not a small number. And always this waiting, waiting for the Lord, waiting for God's appearing, waiting for God's ways to be made true, it's always approved. It's usually rewarded. So waiting, as much as we hate it, is good. And that's what we do when we celebrate Advent. In our gospel lesson today, it's clear that this waiting is not a passive, you know, just a twiddling of our thumbs passively, but it's a kind of preparation of getting ready. And there's specific actions involved in that getting ready as we wait for the coming of our Savior as a baby. 
the coming of our Savior as rabbi and Lord, teaching and calling us to know God's ways. And as Martin reminded us last week, the coming again of Jesus as Savior and Lord who will make all things right. Remember what Martin said? He's coming back. Come on. What else? What else did he say? We don't know when. Come on, see if you can get an A for the last one. So, he's coming back. We don't know when. Be ready. Be prepared. Okay, good. A on that last one at least. (laughs) This week and next, we wait. We get prepared by reflecting on the instructions of John the Baptist as he called God's people to get ready for the coming of Jesus' first earthly ministry. It's divided in two, and I'm glad I don't have to preach the, first, the second half. Um, we'll get to that next week. As we wait for Christmas, for Jesus coming again, Christians pay attention to John the Baptist's words, words that challenge us to wait purposefully. So let's look again at this challenge, even though I'm sure many of you have looked at it many times before. Luke reports that John went into all the region preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, repentance, you recognize that word. It does not mean beating your head against the wall, sorrowing and wailing and weeping about your sins, right? Uh, It means turning, turning your mind in a new direction. Literally, it comes from, sorry with the word stuff today, but can't resist it. It comes from meta, right, change, like metamorphosis, change of body. This is meta-mind, nous. So metanoia, repentance, means changing your mind about something. I love how Dallas Willard puts it. Reconsider your strategy for living, he says. Is that good? Reconsider your strategy for living. And he goes on, in view of the fact that the kingdom of the heavens is accessible to all. Right? In light of that, turn around. Think again. Reconsider how it's going. I love that. Reconsider your strategy for living. We're called to stop and consider our direction, our patterns of living and loving, or not, right? Stop and consider how much are you allowing God into your day-to-day actions, step-by-step, minute-by-minute, or not? How do we do that? How can we reconsider our strategy for loving? Take a minute. Take a minute. Think about it. Is there some way, little or big, that God would like you to reconsider your strategy for living? Some of you know I struggled for a very long time with angry outbursts. And I came to a point where I looked and saw that that was sin. So I reconsidered my strategy for living. With God looking over my shoulder, he finally got it through my thick head. And I began to turn, 
to walk into new patterns of life. That's what Advent is about. Reconsider how you're living in light of the fact that Jesus' heavenlies are open to us, accessible. I'm learning to trust God now more and more when I'm anxious. I tend to blame someone else when I'm anxious. It's my fault. Uh, can I, day by day, invite Jesus in? Can I reconsider my strategy for living in the face of anxiety? How about my attitude toward other people, some of whom are pretty angry or fearful, want to take it out on me like I do on some other people? What's my inner response? Can I learn to love in the middle of that with God's help? Can I reconsider my reactions? Reconsider how I live in light of the gospel and Jesus' eagerness to help me? John doesn't just talk about repentance, right? He preaches a baptism of repentance. Right, many of us were baptized as children, but it's meant, baptism is meant to be a concrete act showing, signifying this turning toward God, right? Baptism in Jesus' day was literally a drowning, right? You die to your sin. Paul talks about this, right? And then you're born again. You live anew. You start a new life. And that concrete picture we're meant to think of reconsider when we think about repentance of dying and being born anew freshly. We do that once of course in baptism but we celebrate and remember and recommit ourselves every time someone's baptized. That's why we say those words we pray those prayers of turning away and turning toward. And that's what this season is about. It's remembering Re bringing back to the forefront this procedure, this waiting by turning towards God. So he also says, John also says, a baptism of repentance, what? For the forgiveness of sins. Note that forgiveness is expected, right? Repentance and baptism, those actions depend on our trust in God's work. Our expectation is that God is eager to meet us, eager to act. So as we turn, we're turning toward our gracious, merciful, loving God, who's eager, more eager to change us than we are to be changed. So we wait in Advent, and that's how. By reconsidering our strategy for living and by expecting that God is eager to act that God is eager to respond to our turning. Luke goes on and quotes the prophet Isaiah in describing the ministry of John the Baptist, this time painting a very vivid picture. I know it's familiar to you, and you heard it read a minute ago, but let me read it again, and I'd like you to try and visualize this picture, right? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his straight path straight. 
Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He's quoting Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, almost word for word. And the context of that is the people of God being exiled, sent out of the land they thought was their home forever. And Isaiah has been very clear about the reason they're in exile. It isn't pretty. But now, you know, a good way through the book, he changes his tone and says, with God's words, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. And then he goes on to say, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Do you see that picture of road building? It's a vivid picture. Uh, making a highway for a king's visit. That was something Isaiah's listeners would have recognized. You know, the Assyrian Empire did this all over the place to, uh, to encourage good communication. Just level through mountains, desert, whatever, leveled it, made it wide enough so that the king and his entourage or any messengers, and no, no hoi polloi allowed on that street, unlike the highway for our God. God loves the hoi polloi. Anyway, uh, we prepare then for Jesus' arrival by building a road, a spiritual road of repentance. But wait, did you notice in both Isaiah and Luke? Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked shall be made straight. Rough shall be made level. Who exactly is doing the road building? People are called to build it, and then it's built. Who's doing the building? Who's working this transformation of the landscape? The people or God? And the answer is yes. Right? It, notice how this fits with a picture of what a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is, right? Or maybe a baptism signifying repentance, trusting in God's forgiveness of sins. Again, we see this two-part action, right? We turn, God shows up. God meets us. God beats us to it just when we think we're going to have to dig or blow up or whatever, Right? And then one more thing. I love this. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're preparing for. This is why we build the road or turn toward it so it can be built by God. Or as Isaiah puts it, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Won't that be wonderful? Can you imagine? Unimaginable, really. Isn't it worth waiting for? Isn't it worth being ready for? 
seeing the glory of God, seeing the glory of God together, everyone seeing it, I don't know. I think it's pretty worth waiting for and preparing for. Uh, my Another granddaughter and uh, Wiss and I have been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and we've gotten to the, we finally finished, sort of sad, last battle. You remember it, the last battle at the end. Um, there's this banquet, and it's amazing and wonderful, and the space is so spacious. They thought they were in a tiny, smelly stable, and all of a sudden it's beautiful and spacious, and they're feasting. But the dwarves, who aren't prepared, they experience it as a closed-in, dark, and smelly place, and the food is like straw. We are called, we are invited to prepare for something more beautiful than we can imagine. And then you see this ending where they're all together and the old people suddenly look young and vital even though they're battle-weary. And we hear Aslan talking further up and further in, this amazing picture of being welcomed. And it's beyond imagining. As it, as it unfolds, no one can imagine how wonderful it is. It's a little picture, just a little picture. And I'm convinced that it's worth it to establish our spiritual muscles, right? Because this picture is that as we reconsider our life, allow Jesus to come in and shape us anew, we're gonna enjoy it more. It's not gonna be hard right? Unlike the first exercise we go to after having kind of done nothing, right? We're not going to ache as, as we wait and get ready. It's worth it. It's worth it. So Advent is a season of turning to God and to God's ways, a season of responding, of God's responding, rather, God's responding and acting as we turn to him. So, let me ask you again. What are you waiting for? Besides presents, family gatherings, LOLs, besides time off, what are you waiting for? I guess it's not fair to ask you what you're waiting for without telling you what I'm waiting for. Although maybe you could guess it by now in this sermon. I'm waiting for transformation. Right? As visible as a new highway. This morning I came in on I-66. Wasn't too bad on a Sunday morning, but usually I come in on Tuesday mornings. It's not a pretty picture. Right? I just can't wait for 66 to be finished all around there in Manassas. But you're all laughing because you're saying, Mary, dream on, honey bun. (laughs) I-66 is never going to be finished, but can't you just, I can even taste it, that section in Manassas, having it be smooth and newly paved, there are a couple of places that are, having those lanes that are closed off be opened up again, and having those lane lines, especially early in the morning when I'm coming in and it's still dark, those lane lines repainted with that reflective paint, right? I'm ready for that, and you know, I'm ready for that in my life too, how about you? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to become more Christ-like, more paved over, ready, 
welcoming of others. I'm ready. I'm ready for Jesus to have his way with me, to work hard, do the hard work. And it's hard for someone like me. I'm ready for fuller, deeper, noticeable change, becoming more Christ-like. And you know what else I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for God to do that in us, together. For God to transform us, Truro Church. That we would find fuller and deeper ways of loving one another, however hard it is. That we would turn, reconsider our strategy for living, let Jesus come and meet us as we love one another better with God's help and love our neighbors better, those near and those across the globe. I'm looking, waiting for renewed, newer renewed activity of God's spirit. That's been a part of our tradition. I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forward. I want God's spirit to wake us up again in fuller, deeper, more noticeable ways. That's what I'm waiting for. To see the glory of God in us, individually and corporately. That's what I'm waiting for. So I'm taking Advent seriously this year. Uh, you know, it helps to write a sermon on it, then you have to preach it to yourself first. Uh, maybe you will too. Maybe you'll join me. Let's repent. Turn around, trusting God to act. Let's turn, reconsider our strategy for living in light of Jesus' arrival. Let's turn in, looking at our heart, maybe imagining Jesus over our shoulders, pointing out this and this and this, hearing his words, I'm ready to change it, are you? Let's turn around. Let's make a decision about key things that are blocking God's activity in our lives and ministries, each of ours and all of ours together. And let's turn toward Jesus, expecting him to act, trusting more deeply in his power and love, his ability to meet us. Will you join me? Will you join me? Let's ask ourselves this Advent, what are we waiting for? And let's turn towards Jesus, trusting in his love and power. Pray with me, please. We turn towards you, Jesus, trusting in your power to change us individually and corporately. We long to see the glory of God in our midst, and we await its fullness in time to come. Teach us how to turn toward you, shaping us more and more into your likeness.